Hey there, sinners. It's Adam Knox, and welcome to another episode of The Cult of You. Right now, we're passing through the beautiful celebration of Soen, here at least where I'm at. Other parts of the world, Beltane has just entered or opened up, so to speak. For the celebration, though, of the journey into the underworld, I've decided that this is a very appropriate time to connect with Santa Morta for myself. I've also realized that in so doing, it opens up the entire beauty of the death current and all the possibilities. Death is one of those unspoken of lovers. It's the one that we avoid, yet it is the one that is most present and most real for us in the times that we find ourselves in today with the pandemic and everything else going on in our world. Death is always close to us. And there's a philosophy and even the Dragon Rouge and many of the draconian currents that we must make an ally out of death because it is the one thing that none of us can escape and it is the equalizer to every single one of us ultimately in our path. Death and our relationship with death really determines how we play at life, the level of intensity and the level of involvement that we bring. It is because of this that my guest today is what one would call an expert on death. In his book, The Necromancer, Connor Kendall explores death and necromancy in a far more, shall we say, overarching paradigm and frame than what many are familiar with. We break away from the traditional Necronomicon ideas and we explore the death current itself. We discuss today everything from Santa Murta to some of the entities that he found on the path, as well as how those, including Beelzebub, Azazel, and many others, has unlocked inside of him a journey that is quite profound and one really worth listening to. One of the things that I respect about Kendall is that he walks his talk. You know, besides the tome of the book itself, the journey that he took through, you know, leaving the comforts of familiar places to go into the East and really build relationships with the jinn and those that keep them, those that work with them actively. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. And remember to live deliciously. Connor, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on The Cult of You. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It should be a blast. No, it's, it's, been a, it's, a, it's a gift. And I've personally got to thank you for taking the time to pop in. And the reason I want to say that is because 
I don't think timing could have been better. You know, we're currently going through so in here and by us, you know, Belton's been on the other side and, you know, it's been a great mystery and journey experience. And just this past week, I was speaking to Bill Duvendak and we were talking about the mystery between these two traditions as the mystery between sexuality and death. You know, that old classic that um, the French word, le petit mort, that presence of death that's always inside of our life, even inside of our pleasures. And I think no one has been more interesting for me right now than yourself, because I've just gotten through the Necromancer. And oh, my God, it's an amazing piece of work. How long was that in the making? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So um, when I stumbled onto the, the path of Necromancy, I had no idea that, you know, I was sort of walking in this crooked path since the, the very moment that I discovered magic and even before that. Mm. So it all started with really the day that I was born. You know, the, the exact day that I was born, I died. Like I, I died. And then about a year and a half later, maybe two years later, when I was a toddler, I died again. So I had these near-death experiences and they were always sort of a huge aspect of, of me looking outward to the beyond and, and, and sort of trying to wonder what else is out there that I felt there was something more in this physical plane I felt there was something more than this life and there was there was just something else however there was no word for it there was no name for it and then I discovered magic and I'd, I'd done the, the various systems that I had walked over the years the Arimanic uh, pantheon the draconic pantheon uh, the cliffhotic demonology so on and so forth to traditional witchcraft you name it and um, I noticed that the death was always sort of in the background, always sort of a silhouette that was always there as a motivating force. And when I fully came to be aware of that, I wanted to explore the system. I wanted to explore the system of death, magic, and necromancy. However, the information that, that I was following at the time was idiotic, to say the very least. And um, this is the thing, and this is something that not many people realize, but you're always going to have fuck-ups and you're always going to sort of have, you're always going to have this sort of system and this journey where you're trying to find exactly how you fit into this path working and what needs to be done to ensure that the ride is smooth sailing, so to speak. And in necromancy, when I was realizing that this is a world full of death, full of decay, um, there, there were dangers in this current and there are dangers in this current. It's just, these dangers are heavily misunderstood and they're actually easily avoided. And I had no idea of that until I was sort of greeted by a master, a disincarnate descended master known as Anuas. And he was the disincarnate spirit which led me on my journey. And that journey was for years and years. And eventually I realized I had reached a pinnacle or point in my necromantic journey that I just said, I have to say this. And the moment that, that I put it into text, I realized the, the sort of uh, magnitude of what I had walked through over the years. And you don't realize it all until it's all in front of you, mm. you know, until it's all, all in front of you sort of in, in this one tone. There were even parts I had to pull out because the book was so large because there was too much in the book. There was, I had to pull pieces out of it. Um, so... Yeah, it is such a massive piece. And I, that was, I think, one of the things that impressed me. It wasn't a, kind of a cheap cut down. It wasn't a new take on the Necronomicon or any kind of rubbish like that. It was comprehensive. You took, it was almost like I had several books 
in one piece. Like there were several tomes that covered so many dimensions of the death current. And I think that was something that I really respected and really something that got my attention and my respect for you, because again, you weren't capitalizing on the whole necronomicon necromancy idea um you know we spoke about you mentioned you know your journey in the draconian current and i know in the draconian current there's even the talk about necrobiology and there's this kind of exploration of these other aspects there's the and this is something that i think a lot of people don't get when they first look at it for me even i i grew up as a spiritualist and you're constantly in communion with the dead you're constantly building that relationship and that connection i didn't have the benefit you know, benefit being the, you know, unique choice of words that you had with those true initiations, those true deaths that opened you up. But I'm very curious, what is your actual interpretation of necromancy? Because it's far more than that basic kind of stockpile that's out there. Can you give me your view? And also, if you don't mind me throwing a double on in there, how do you see the relationship between necromancy, spiritualism, and you know the ancestors as well as the gods of the death and the death current well i i suppose the sort of answer i get you know the answer in and of itself answers both of those questions so necromancy to me was an interesting term the, when people say that they're they're in the, they're in necromancy or they perform necromancy you know that word itself and the definition is kind of loose um i prefer the death current i prefer that whole terminology however over the years necromancy has been so attached to that that is almost inseparable now mm. but the death current essentially if there was ever such a thing as an infinite eternal uh spiritual current that interconnects all pantheons traditions systems and spiritual beliefs like you said of spiritualism it would be death mm. that i till this day i cannot find a culture a system out there where, where death wasn't there uh, or wasn't even a major part of it. You know, from the gods of death, you have demons of death, you have angels of death. And this is why my journey in necromancy was so long and was so vast as it was. You know, you elegantly put it there that it's like books within books that whole time. You know, you had the, the path of the, the descended masters, you had the paths of the demons of death, you had the paths of the angel of death, Santa Muerte of death, you know, the Azjahi current through Jinasu, the Jin, it was just infinite. And there are many more areas of that to be explored. And somebody once said to me, so are you done with necromancy? I was like, I, nobody could be done with necromancy, <laughs> you know, even if I came back over and over and over in different incarnations, it's an infinite path. And when you're done with one section of it, if you are done with that section of it, you, death is going to pull you in its current to another part of it which is what happened with my journey. Once I was working with the sort of the descended masters, I was pulled into Jin. I was pulled into, you know, Mesopotamian systems and, and so on and so forth. So it's infinitely flowing. And yet there is a connection of death uh, within every single system of spirituality that I've seen so far. And I'm yet to find the one type of spirituality that doesn't have that in there. And the interesting thing is you asked, what's my you know, my interpretation of necromancy, I would say it's the back door to all these traditions. It is the, mm, the, the yes. hidden key that allows you to access all of these uh, worlds, all of these gods, all of these dimensions, and all of these just systems in general. And mm. Instead of doing an initiation here with this system and stepping out and then implementing yourself into another system, there's none of that. There is no disassociation or, or you're losing connection with one path because you 
injecting yourself into another. You know, death is just eternal and ongoing. I love that. I think that's, you know, there was a, a bit of gnosis that I still had one time that at the end of every tradition and all these ancient traditions and paths that we are trying to study, the doorway through it, like you mentioned, the back door to it is death. It's the death patron, the death god, the death deity that literally is the entry point in that. And it also reminds us of that need of sacrifice, that constant need of sacrifice. But the question I want to follow this up with, one of the things that I noticed with old classic spiritualism and people that just work with the spirits, they just open themselves as mediums, they bring that in, they tends to be a lot of weight, a lot of debris in their energy. And I can, I can feel your energy. And I know there's a lot of, it's almost like it's clean, it's fresh. It's not, it's not death. It's not as in, it's not decayed or lost or heavy in that sense at all. How do you keep so psychically fit? If I can put it that way, how do you, how do you keep that cleanse that energy so high? You know, I, I've had so many people ask me this question. Um, so, so, uh, and I'm not going to say the name here because I, I don't want to sort of shut this guy out or anything, but there was a guy who implemented works of necromancy and he did a video, I can't remember when, and he said he was trying to prove how immersed he was and how much of a big badass necromancer he really was. He was like, my organs are shutting down. My kidneys are failing. I am becoming one with death. I'm like, that's not a good sell pitch, bro. Mm. It's mm. not. That's not what people want to become. And if anything, you're not walking uh, in, in the path of necromancy. You're allowing the, de the dead to consume you, and you're being consumed within it. Yes. So my, my entire approach to necromancy was realizing that there is... Um, so if you look at the ancient Tantricas of the Agori, for example, uh, and how they sort of walk in the path of defilement, and they, they will commit acts of, of, of defile, defiling acts such as cannibalism, such as eating their own feces, covering themselves in crematory ashes. Yet they do this and, and they their sort of philosophy behind it, and this is just paraphrasing here, is um, God is within, the divine is within. And if you take the right methodology or you have sort of like the right frame of mind, nothing can defile God. How can you defile the divine? If you took all of the, all of the grotesqueness in in the world and you threw it at the divine, it's just going to burn. It's like a moth flying into a flame. Mm. And essentially, when I was working with these deities of death, they were showing me that that instead of the, this current of energy destroying you and, and crippling your your sort of your own, I say the many levels of one's own being, you know, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, because all of these are important. And I think this is what people don't realize when they're walking such intense path workings. They tend to focus on the spiritual, the spiritual, the spiritual. Yeah. And when they're only focusing on that, the rest of them is sort of deteriorating behind it. So when it came to necromancy, all of these entities were showing me that there is an alchemy at play here. There is an internal alchemy at play. And instead of the dead or these currents of energy destroying you, they're actually going to benefit you that you can actually turn inward and in your own inner defilement, you can sort of transmute that. There's a whole transfiguration there where you're, um, it's like spiritual nucleus. Mm. It's like, like, like instead of having yourself decay and become grotesque, you can become uh, filled with, with a source of energy and a source of vitality that you just wouldn't expect from somebody who walks in the death current. Yeah. And many people say things on the stage, they're like, man, he looks so young. You know, you're, you're, you don't look bad. You don't look sick. I've never known you to be sick. I've never known. How do you do it? How do you walk the path of necromancy and not be affected like that? 
Mm. Well, it's walking the path and then there's um, sort of stumbling in the path. And I think most people who walk in the deaf current stumble, fall, and um, they, they don't treat their wounds. You know, they, they don't at all. And, the, the, and this is one thing I do want to touch on here. Unfortunately, when it comes to necromancy, there's an edginess. Yes. There's an edginess to it all that is sort of, I've always said for years, death and darkness is suddenly now in the 21st century people fantasized. Mm. And it is. And, and when it comes to death, everyone wants to be edgy about it. You know, I'm a necromancer. Rah! It's like most of the necromancers, the ancient necromancers, never approached it like that. If anything, they, they seen that, that uh, life was as beneficial as death. And they, they go hand in hand. You can't choose one over the other. Mm. And, and that's what a true necromancer mindset would really focus on. That how can I use death to benefit my life? Exactly. I like the uh, a key that I got, two ideas that I got from my own work. The one was that the key to immortality wasn't the overcoming of death. It was the mastery of the dance between death and life. And it's, it's that balance between the two without tipping on the one. And the other idea that kind of came to mind, like as you were, as you were sharing, you know, your experience there, um, it was from my a path working or guidance with Beelzebub. And there was a time period where I felt a lot of illness and a lot of sickness in my body. And I wanted to positive think my way out of it because I was still young and, and experienced. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. And he kind of like slammed down on me. He said, no, you're sick, except the sickness. And at first I was uncomfortable and then I accepted, okay, I'm sickness. He's like, no, 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 you're not sickness. You are sick. You are not sick. You are the sickness. You are not the sickness. You are the Lord of the sickness and you are the Lord. And that moment of realization to be the Lord of the disease means to no longer be the victim of the disease. And it was in that moment that I was able to liberate myself from its, its throes. And I'm getting the same kind of idea here with you. It's that in that transmutation, you were no longer the victim of the death, but kind exactly. of, yeah. Yeah. I, it's very, very interesting that you mentioned that. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence because the one who revealed me sort of what he calls dark defilement was Bilzimov. You know, um, from walking in the path of the gatekeepers and working with him in necromancy too, which I didn't differentiate between the two. He said that the, um, there are people in spirituality. How, ma how many years uh, have, you, have you been in spirituality and you've seen people cleansing themselves, purifying themselves, worrying, you know, like you said, like affirmations. I am healthy. I am healthy. I am healthy. I am healthy. Trying to convince themselves that they are. Exactly. And um, when they're overcome by a sickness, they try to convince themselves out of it. Well, like you said, you eloquently put it, uh, Beelzebub says, no, you're not sick, you are sick. Mm. That, that there is a, uh, there is a path of grand dark defilement, that you can take the path of purity, cleanse yourself all the time, try to vibrate on, on the, um, uh, the vibration of peace, love and serenity. But I'm here to tell you, unless you live in a hut or you live in the jungle or you live in a world that you can do that, then fair enough. But the truth is, most of us are living in the real world mm. where that's not applicable, where we can't turn our cheek, where we're constantly covered by physical pollution as well as spiritual pollution that we pick up from everybody around us. And, we, and you can't treat it every single day, every single week, taking spiritual baths, you know, cleansing and doing all these things. Or there is that other side of it where you can say, okay, I am the sickness. So how can I take the sickness and make it benefit me? Mm. And then eventually what was low, dense, gray, sickening energy becomes a blunder of divine 
white light. And um, you realize that death and life are one in the same. And there is no uh, antithesis between them. I love that. I love that. It's, you know, one of the, I think, ideas I think that a lot of people kind of overlook or they don't see when they look at the clip path is that within the clip path is the Nitsutsut. It's that initial components of that eternal body that we are. And um, there's the ones that are being ridden by the spirit. They're, they're almost possessed in a negative sense, if I can put it as such, in the sense of where it's an unconscious compulsion and they have no awareness of it. And they're just, you know, the, the angry kid in mom's basement thinking that they're the gatekeeper of Paymon. Meanwhile, they're just dealing with daddy and mommy issues, you know, let alone having, and, and when they bring in that force because they're so weak, they can't process it because they're not that, they haven't done the inner work. They haven't done that self-maturing versus, you know, what you're kind of bringing forward and that, that journey of building a relationship and a healthy relationship with the dark, with the death, you know, current itself, because this is the inevitable, right? I mean, this is the one thing no one here is going to escape, you know, like that one phrase, no one can prove God to me, but death can be proven very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a television series, and it's based on the book written by Neil Gaiman, uh, American Gods, and there's a scene in there that I love, and I can't get it out of my head, even till this day, where Anubis uh, is sort of taking a soul of a, a, a unbeliever. She didn't believe in anything, like anything at all. And, and she just lived her life one moment by the next, just existing, just stumbling through it. And when she finally dies, she's like, you believed in nothing. You will go to nothing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought that, and, and from my own, my own uh, research on it, my own experiments on it, is almost every afterlife exists because... The astral realm is sort of molded by concepts and ideas. So if you believe, if you're a Christian and you believe in heaven, chances are you're going to go to some heaven. If you if you're a Muslim and you believe in that type of, you're going to go there, mm. so on and so forth. And if you believed in nothing, you'll return to nothing. And my favorite part in that was Anubis says, "This isn't a debate. Death isn't up for debate. That death is inevitable. Uh, I've been threatened." I've been promised riches, goals. He said, I've had kings, emperors come before me. Who are you? You're nothing but a man and one that I will probably never remember again. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that is how formidable death is. And yeah. like you said, it is inevitable. And you have people till this day that there's, I mean, it is interesting what we're seeing now with sort of technology. You know, we're, we're having like a, a neural link and all these various things and the possibility that one day mankind could merge with an AI intelligence and achieve a feat of immortality. But even that, I'm going to say that uh, part of you still die mm. uh, and the physical body will die. So even if we do achieve the cybernetic immortality, guess what? You're going to die first. You're, you're so right. And it's actually something that um, I, I talk about and I kind of agree. In, and I say that if we look at this idea of the singularity, when we look at this concept of us merging with machine, the individual that's the most prime for it is the left-hand path magician because others are so afraid. They won't be able to handle that shift of consciousness. We don't know how dramatic it's going to be. I mean, we've evolved this consciousness based on this biology. You know, there's a deep relationship between it, whichever view you follow. So to suddenly take that out completely and swap over into a machine that alteration of psyche, you need somebody that's really been able to work with altered states of consciousness and give up every familiar thing, allowed it to die, you know, fundamentally. Um, there's, a, there's a poem I, I wrote when I first started working with Santa Morza, which um, 
was about the romance of death. And when I realized that, you know, every lover I will ever have will leave me. They will all go to death. But the only one that will always love me is death fundamentally because she was there since the moment I was born. She's been there every incident of life reminding me of her presence. And when I finally do submit to her, she will take every part without judgment. She's the only one that will take all of us without rejecting one part or another, you know, it's not good or not worthy. It's that's, it's, it's mess. Some may say it's messed up, but I think we're talking about that shift of perception. And there was an idea that I, that I spoke about recently is actually an idea that was shared by um, uh, a well-known speaker. His name will come to me in a moment. Um, but the idea is that when some people go into war, and they go with fear in their heart, they've already lost. You know, they've already kind of failed the battle by, by and of itself, as Jordan Peterson was talking about it. Um, mm. And he mentioned the idea, because he was talking with Jocko Willick, and he were talking about how the difference is, though, if you go to the war with a positive attitude, like you're almost excited about it, your experience biologically, psychologically actually makes you better. You know, you go into the same dramatic situation, but you're empowered, you're stronger, the organism becomes stronger as a result of it. And I think the same thing is different, you know, if you look at the difference between how some approach death, you know, as being afraid and that fear of it almost automatically starts breaking down a last and the body itself starts becoming that unhealthy, shutting down as an example, that other individual, um, their relationship with death is unhealthy versus, you know, what I'm seeing with you is that relationship with death is actually an empowering one. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it comes to Santa Muerte, it's very interesting. You know, I've got it right next to me right now. Uh, and it's just over there. And I can tell you, I wake up every morning, I go pray to her, and I leave her offerings. I go to bed every night, I pray to her, and I leave her offerings. Now, that's somebody that, that's, that's death. That is, Santa Muerte is death, and she's in my home. I have children. You know, I have a wife. So people will say to me, you allow death in your home? Really? And I'm like, yeah. Because you, there's something you don't realize that, that death, decay itself is going to touch everything in life. So she yeah. covers all aspects of life. People call upon her for a, for a multitude of different reasons. Yeah. Uh, and she, she can be a mother, she can be a grandmother, of course, you know, she can be a guide, she can be a lover. And there's a beautiful bit that you just said, you know, about uh, Santa Marte and, and the poem that you wrote for her. Is that correct? Yes. And that, well, in my prayer, I say, she who was with me in the beginning, she who is with me now, she will always be with me. Kind and gentle be your kiss when you come to end my life, La Santissima. Mm -hmm. And I say that every single day, and every single night, because like you, you, you have the understanding that death is inevitable. And she, she also doesn't judge you. And you made that abundantly clear. She doesn't judge that you have sort of these... Uh, these essences or these angels of death, as it were, that sort of appear in your life, that, that sort of take the soul from the body to a judgment, to be judged. Santa Marte doesn't do that. Santa Marte just guides you through the underworld and you go where you must go, or you go what, where, whatever is next. But of course, that's, that's a matter of perspective now. You know, when, when we touch on what else is out there, that's a matter of perspective. It's an interesting conversation because, again, you know, there was a very old film called um, What Dreams May Come. And um, in the film where I think it was Robin Williams that still played in it, I forget, um, he goes in the afterlife and this is almost this beautiful journey for him and his wife, however, then passes away at some point and he's got to go through almost this multiverse to go save her in her self-induced hell. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that she's created for herself and her own reality based upon her beliefs and her rules and things like that. Um, and I remember growing up in spiritualism and, you know, my first spiritual um, grandfather was an exceptionally powerful man. He had direct contact with spirit from, from, from childhood. He couldn't read or write, but he could ask anything and he could speak as a literate doctor in a moment. Um, he had that kind of direct connection. He, can, he, he had just absolute power. And he was always talking about how him and a group of spiritualists would actually go into the afterworld uh, or go into the spiritual world and the astral world. And they would go do healing and salvation and helping spirits kind of release. And, you know, I, I don't know how many people I'm going to offend, but it's, it's fine if I do. Um, and it was, he come, they come across these people that were Christians in the dogmatic sense. And he said it was always so difficult to help those because they had such a conviction on what Jesus should look like in that second coming, that if you didn't look exactly like that, they would kind of freak out and stay there waiting for some day to come forward. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're sort, of, sort of waiting for a, a white-skinned, blue-eyed, uh, blonde-haired Jesus Christ in the Middle East. Yeah. Yes, very realistic. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, like it's it's sometimes the common sense factor is a you know salt separately fact you know element, but sure we'll go with that kind of depiction. But I want to um, not sidestep that one. I want to just kind of ask you about your relationship with Santa Morsa because you know there's this idea that a lot of people have that you shouldn't work with an entity unless you've been called by that entity, um, and then there's this other one of. Uh, you have to kind of be born in a lineage and a bloodline that has some kind of relationship or that you can forge a pact. What is your views around that? I think my, I think my views are just, to me at least, logical. And I think sometimes logical is controversial. And uh, not many people like it when I, when I discuss my views on this. And, uh, and, and that's mostly traditional people, people who are very stuck in tradition and don't want to move out of sort of what they've been told to believe or what's been written hundreds of years ago. Yes. You know, well, if we all sort of took that approach, uh, medicine wouldn't be what it is today. Our life wouldn't be is what it is today. But essentially to me, it's like, I've never had a spirit come to me and go, no, you're the wrong color. I never had a spirit come to me this and said, no, your, aunt, your second auntie isn't this or your great auntie isn't that. I understand the cultural importance to some people and mm -hmm. I respect where these deities have originated or first appeared in this world. But the sense is that you can work with a deity, in my opinion, if you're, if you're pulled to that deity. What's the problem? If, if that deity's called you, what's the issue? Mm -hmm. And people get into sort of moral and ethical dilemmas they like to involve race and this and that. But to me, it's like, okay, if you're going to involve those, you can do that somewhere else. To me, um, I understand spirituality isn't a place for morals, ethics, where we consider good, evil, politics. If you look at most of these entities, they, they don't even know what good and evil is. There's such man-made concepts and beliefs that they don't even exist. I personally don't think they exist outside of our society. You know, you go to some places around the world, you can clearly see, many anthropologists have said this, that what we consider right and wrong is completely different over, over the other side of the world. What we consider to be um, justice is completely different over the other side of the world. So mm. if that is, is completely different around the globe, imagine what that would be like in different dimensions. Then. Mm. You know, and, and, the fact, and the thing is that that triggers people. But my, my relationship with Santa Fe is this. I felt her call me. And I answered. 
And when I answered, I tried to root of her as just a necromancer to a deaf deity. She made such a profound impression on me that I was like, oh yeah, I I, I can't let you go. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're something that you're something that not only gives me a sort of a sense of, of completeness, but but since I've had you in my home, my daughter has come up to your altar and smiled. You know, my stepson comes up to your altar and smiles. My wife, somebody who doesn't even walk this path, has often felt things from you. Is she's home. And the second when I realized she's home, she stayed home. And uh, essentially, that's what it is. And I, I just think that um, people, uh, you know, they, they sort of try to keep spirituality closed. Uh, and they sort of try to restrict it to certain people. And to me, it's like, I don't see sense in it. I really don't. And I, I know that's just coming from, from my point of view, but I'm giving an answer based on my point of view. I agree. I agree, though, because I think, I think there's two instances. Um, and you see the same thing even in Freemasonry as you do in, in many old religions and traditions. There is this, there was an old tradition of not speaking about it. And fairly so, because in the old days, you were killed if you spoke about it. You know, if the, the information came out, you'd be burned, sacrificed, hunted down, whatever the case would be. You chose silence for survival and protection of everyone that was involved in traditions that were against the grain and were being hunted in many instances. Um, and that's the one point. And that point is no longer valid. You know, we no longer live in that society. There are problems in some areas of the world. I mean, I live in South Africa. There's there's still witch hunts happening. There's still burnings happening. Um, they've massively been reduced due to the efforts of the community. Um, but it still happens in different parts of the world. It's still illegal in certain parts of the world. So there is that. But on the internet, there's none of that. You know, it's very limited in that kind of way. And then there's, you know, what I call the psychological weakness. You know, I always say that, you know, somebody starting the path of magic, before you start really progressing the path of magic, you need to resolve your basic psychological needs. You know, significance being one of those needs. You know, if yeah. you're not self-significant, because again, there's the, I'm, I'm powerful myself, I'm walking my truth, I'm congruent, I don't care what everyone else thinks. Um, and I'm representing that versus I need to hoard something, hide something to prove how valuable I am because I don't secretly feel it. And there's a big difference between that kind of mentality versus the initiatory earning the rights to gain that knowledge because you're maturing and refining yourself. I mean, we all know as experienced you know, practitioners, there's a value in initiation. There's a value in learning to walk a path to prepare yourself energetically and psychically to handle what's coming. And that kind of gives me a question. One of the, I remember years ago, I did a working um, pretty much around Soen, Web Santa Morta, and I asked for something very specifically. And I realized very quickly that she doesn't care. She's not like, a, you know, is it good for you or is it not good for you? That's what you want? Sure. Um, she was very open to that experience. Um, but she warned me that I see it, that she sees a deeper vision for my life. And she's going to give me what I think I want, but she's going to kill me as a result of it. So I can yeah. get what I really want. That, that was traumatic, painful, difficult. And going through that wasn't easy, um, but it made me become a much more powerful magician at the end of the day and a much more powerful adult, you know, an individual and, a, and an actual member of my society. If you don't mind me asking, what's been, what's been one of those payoffs you know, one of those costs that you had to kind of go through, 
you know, within that? Oh, oh man. Um, yeah, so, so here's the thing. Much in your life will need to die. Many things in your... What you consider to be you, those concepts need to die. Mm. I, I, and, and the issue is, it's not many people see it that way. They think, oh, I jump into magic, do a couple spells, call a couple demons, all things are good. And uh, no, that's, <laughs> that's not realistic. Um, and I've had m- many people say to me, well, why is it necessary to have certain aspects of oneself to die in order to grow? I say, why does the snake shed its skin? Mm. Why did uh, a singular species choose to evolve from what it used to be to what it is now? Because when an environment is hostile, um, what a species has to adapt, overcome, and then that linear of that species dies off, and yeah. then they become something else. And essentially, that's what evolution is. That, and here's the thing, many people, when they view life and they view evolution, they never think of death. Yeah. Mm. To them, it's like, stay away from necromancy, stay away from death. I'm all about life. I'm all about growth. I'm like, yeah, you're all about necromancy now. Mm. So it's um, because... I've had many aspects of my own personal life that, and parts of me had to die, versions of me had to die. And here's the thing, a lot of relationships I had, a lot of cons- concepts around me had to die too. They had to be taken away. Um, I was in a relationship with somebody and it, it was kind of idiotic. And I realized I had big aspirations. I had big goals. I had big dreams. I wanted this. I wanted to do that. She was content to sit in the house that she's always lived in to do the things that she's always done. And anything that was out of her comfort zone, she would immediately be against. Mm. And I realized that, I, but because I was so blinded by infatuation and love for this person, it was blinding. And, mm. and anytime I was trying to do something to grow, I did not see that person pulling me back. So mm. right there, those entities were, well, that needs to die. And um, that, it did. The, the amount of friends I had around me, you know, I come from uh, a background of... Uh, not a very nice background, to the very least. You know, I suffered uh, physical abuse, uh, psychological abuse, uh, sexual abuse from, from a father of mine. And eventually, when I got out of that, I was a very troubled child, and I wasn't brought up in, the, in a healthy surrounding, I suppose. And people were taking substances around me, and they were getting in trouble around me. And I was sort of pulled into that, and when I was working with these demons, even, the, ones that you, the ones that people think that want to pull you and mislead you down a path of you know, uh, substance abuse and chaos. These are the very same entities that came to me and went, if you want this in order to truly achieve this feat, you have to cut those people out of your life. Those substances that you're taking that you think make you feel better, they're not doing anything good for you. You need to cut that out of your life. So there were many instances in my life where things had died. And eventually as the years go on, I think some of the traumatic experiences I've had is looking in the mirror. And uh, I'm just looking in there like, Wow, I'm, I, I'm, you don't even look, I don't even look, I don't even feel like the same person who I was before. To me, it's like I've had past lives within this life. And that's the way that I view it, that each version of myself died. And I'm kind of looking back on all those versions of myself. However, if you embrace that, you don't resist that. If you give into that and you realize those things need to die. There's a blossoming, there's an unfolding, and there is a growth that is unfoundable. And, and when you experience that, you, you're going to then realize what is necessary, what is needed, and what is required of you as a necromancer, a witch, a black magician, whatever you are, whatever term or title you go by. 
that death is a vital role, I mean, is a vital key to, to your evolution. I think, um, you know, one thing that I kind of want to drive home for everybody listening is that that principle again, it's, it's death, it's complete death. Suffering isn't death. Suffering is holding on to what was, you know, or what could have been. It's, it's being stuck in the past or stuck in the future because you've got something that you're still perceiving as having the ultimate value. And it's the same thing in magic. I mean, magic rituals are not going to work for you if you're still stuck on the past or the future. You're, you still need that thing. You need that validation. Unless you can truly die to it, truly exhausted in absolution in what you're doing, you're not going to go through. So it's, it's the death initiation is not just a principle, a path, or a current. It is the fundamental key to success and personal growth and magic at this larger level. But that's complete versions of reality that have to be shattered. I, I think I think another thing also that we should drive home there, and it's an excellent point, is the fact that so I, I've spoken to so many people that are just started even in magic in general, where they start evoking these entities, calling upon these spirits to make movements in their life and alterations. And the interesting thing is when you look at that, they want to keep their life exactly the way it is, but they just want the plus bonus. Mm. And I'm like, okay. So essentially what you're saying to these spirits is don't mess up my life. Don't change my life in any way, but bring me that. Do you know how much alteration has to happen in your life for another thing to take place? Like even without magic, you know, um, I've always said that there's a destruction, there's a dismantling, there's a, a recreation all over again. And some things have to fall and break in order for new things to be made. It's like, I was speaking to J.S. Garrett and we were saying that you know, half these entities, they may sometimes take your lives and people panic when they think they're flipping it upside down or they're dismantling it. Mm. Or I play with the forces of hell. I shouldn't have done it. And everyone was right. And they go running back to the preacher or they go running back to the priest. I'm like, no, the second that happens is the second that you're about to have what you ask for. Because these demons, these entities, they take your life, they turn it upside down and the pieces fall how they need to fall, how the, everything comes into place the way it needs to come into place to have exactly what you ask for at the end of it. That is so key. And I mean, it's something that people don't even realize because they all like somebody listening to this for the first time goes like, oh, this left-hand stuff sounds scary and bad and what, what. But they forget that even in quote unquote white and light magic, that same formula is there. The old Isis, Osiris, you know, Apophis, the old EO formula speaks the exact same thing of the, the death, the resurrection, the transmutation. What has been some kind of empowering beliefs, mindsets, tools that have helped you through the thick of it? You know, when you're, when you're in that part where life feels shattered, it feels tempting to run back you know, to a familiar, you know, what has been I, some tools? I think, I said, wow, that's an excellent question. I think one of the greatest experiences and one of the most daunting ones was when I was, uh, I had like, I had everything taken away. But however, now, and I do want to say before I tell this story, guys, everyone that's watching, don't think the left hand part means, oh, these things come into your life, they destroy your life completely and then they give you that one thing you ask for it's not always like that mm. yeah and i do want to drive that home too that yes there's a death there's a rebirth there are these things that need to happen but it's not every single time you ask for something it's just and, and i think what people don't understand is the path of least resistance is important 
that if you don't resist against the changes coming, they're not going to be so traumatic. I, like you, you uh, guarantee the experience is that most of the trauma we may have experienced in our growth has come from us holding on to who we used to be and what we're used to. And because of that, you know, something's pulling us away from it. That's where the trauma ensues. However, if you can just move with the tide and move with the change, um, you'd be surprised if it leads you, really. But I, I suppose a, a big issue, a big importance for me was I always had my entities around, that they always reminded me why this is happening, what you asked for, and that this is what needs to happen for it to, to happen. I remember once Azazel came to me and he said to me that if you, I asked for something huge, and I, he said, if you want this, he said, you do realize how, how much of a big change this is going to be in your life. You're not going to live in the same place. You're not going to know anyone the same. You're not going to be the same. Everything's going to change. He's like, now with that in mind, be prepared for the storm to ensue. Mm. That there is a storm that must enter your life to do away with all that which does not serve you, all that which hinders you, all that which restricts and limits you. And then once that storm is ensued, if you can stay perfectly still and perfectly balanced in the middle of it, you yourself won't be destroyed. However, only the things that need to be destroyed will be destroyed. If you start panic and you start and you start going frantic and trying to run away in different directions, then the storm is going to carry you away. But that's through um, not following the advice of the spirit or not just trusting in the process. And I've always trusted in the process because I trust in my entities because seeing the things that they've done for me and each time that they've told me something and, and the way that it unfolds they're like really you doubt it you doubt me again after all these years i've had your back <laughs> and then eventually you go you know what it's so true like it, it it would be idiotic for me to doubt it it's like waking up tomorrow wondering if the sun is still going to be in the sky mm. you know i woke up every morning and the sun's always been there since uh, and i highly doubt tomorrow it would be any different Mm, that perfect knowingness it's it's something that you've followed very congruently and and firstly one of the things that i want to kind of add to to that you know a lot of people think about magic as just this tool set but they forget all the other things that are connected to it even if i you know what you just shared there is an entire philosophy in zen buddhism you know it's an entire set of teachings in those systems which is again the emphasis on what kind of inner work and self-transformation this takes but the result is the only way you survive this a lot of people talk about god is within and the power is within you and things like that but very few live it when the thunder comes you know when the when the gates open and you have no choice but to rely on yourself and your allies you know and and give up what's almost like familiar to the entire world so you can bring forth what's never manifested or existed in the first place. Um, one of the entities that you work with and you talk in the book is, and if I, you know, forgive me if I pronounce the name not perfectly right, Anuas? Yeah, Anuas, yes. He, this is where you kind of opened up a lot of that work and a lot of those, and he guided you a lot through that. Can you, I want to ask two very kind of specific questions in this. One, I want to understand the relationship. But two, I want to kind of understand how that was in your experience and what do you feel kind of led you to having that label? Because I remember reading even when you were, when you were in the graveyard that night and when you made it home, when that, that astral door opened and that experience kind of happened, 
could you ex can you unpack that a little bit you know because yeah, i think there's a lot of teaching hidden inside of that yeah of course so i, I was i was desperate um i i had felt this pull to this path of necromancy and death magic and i had followed what was written uh out there and i was merely walking uh, walking this path in a way which was um unsanitary you know it's just kind of dumb to, to be quite honest with you and i remember being in the cemetery being in the graveyard and just pouring out almost like a call of like pain anger you know like i need help like I, I put my life in the hands of the dead. I didn't think it would go down like this. And I think sometimes a lot of people don't realize that emotions in and of itself, powerful energies, the emotional spectrum in and of itself is vastly powerful. I've known some powerful individuals in magic that when they get upset, things around them move, things around them blow up, things around them lights turn off. And these things are real, you have. So I think that that whole emotional blunder I was going through was literally sort of like a beacon, an antenna that, that was seen by one entity uh, and sort of combined with the essence of my environment at the time, you know, death, mm. soaking up that death essence. So it's, I'm desperate for help. And then there's that death in there. And this entity came to me and I never heard of this entity before. Now, before I touch on the subject, I want to explain that I had done soul travel for years. And I had worked with what's known as the descended master, uh, the ascended masters. And the ascended masters are essentially what people will refer to as the white cloth or sort of the middle path. Mm. Uh, they're sort of, and they're not actual spiritual beings, essentially, they're avatars. They're avatars mm. of a, uh, a greater force. So you can go to these, uh, these temples of the ascended masters and you can see Buddha, you can see Jesus, you can see. Um, Krishna and so on and so forth they're appearing as avatars of what people refer to as the path of enlightenment mm. the path of purity you know the way so if yeah. you believe the way is Jesus that avatar in that, that ascended plane is probably going to appear as Jesus if you come from a more Buddhist background it's probably going to be Buddha and uh, so on and so forth and there are many 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 ascended masters so I had walked that path and then I had been approached by an entity known as a descended master. And I was like, I've, ne I've never encountered these beings. This was the very first time. And the Nuas shows himself to me. And, and, and from there, I, I, like you said, I, I had gone home and I, I never forget this. I'm never forgetting this till the day I die. And that doorway of death was revealed. You know, almost as if he was the keeper of that gate. And he reveals it to me. And um, I could feel this, this tribal doorway. I see this tribal doorway opening up. And it's almost like a pressure behind the door is about to make it explode in any moment. So when I'm sort of like going to open this astral door, and I keep thinking if I should or shouldn't, because I can feel the, the, uh, the pressure building behind it, I come to a logical conclusion of, well, there's so much pressure behind it, it's going to explode eventually. It's going to take me eventually. And it was sort of that metaphorical um, imagery there, that that door was about to explode. Whether or not it's going to happen now or the day that I die, it's going to explode and eventually take me in. Yes. So why not explore it when I'm alive? Why not take this leap? And I hate to say faith because I, personally, I, I don't believe in, in a concept of faith. I, I don't. I, I, you know, faith is a belief in something without 
any evidence without any even experience of it. You know, me, I'm a logical person. I may be a black magician. I may be a necromancer, but I'm still a logical person. I have common sense. Yeah. And when I was pulled into that current, pulled into the realms of death, I knew us was always that guy. He was always guiding me. He was like, here's where you need to go now. Here's where you are now. Here's where I'm going to guide you next and next and next. I could have never, ever um, even thought of the vastness of the path that I was about to explore. I thought it was going to be simple. I thought, you know, talk to some dead guys, learn <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a couple of rituals, and uh, yeah, and, and maybe that's necromancy. Who knows? Um, yeah, and the last was like, no, no, my child, <laughs> there's so much more. There's so much more. And when that was revealed to me, I became obsessed. Uh, it was like a, a, um, a spark just lit up inside of me. And I said, you know what? This is a, the journey of a lifetime. And I'm going to undertake this journey. And I just, I allowed that door to open and I was immediately gravitated towards it. I love that. I love also that, you know, there's a lot of consistency there. Um, you have a, you have a free public course on, on Baneful Magic. Um, on your on your channel and one of the things you also talk about there is the power of emotion and its utilization and i i have a philosophy that i say that you know emotion and the astral gate are so deeply linked um and when we when we can blend those they're essential to blend together so purely intellectual magic is in and of itself useless um it needs to have both hemispheres in full um merge it's it's like the double-edged sword of, of occultism you know the cuts both ways you almost need a, a very pristine intellect to distinguish but then you need to be willing to completely abandon it um as you dive into that kind of that world that that experience um he led you through some pretty interesting things and the magic and the journey that kind of unfolds through the rest of the book um is something that I think is going to keep us talking for days uh, because again, it is such a tune. There's so much in there. Um, but one of the things that kind of really caught my attention was you didn't just sacrifice. Like you went on a complete journey because there is one point in the book where you experience the ghouls and how yeah. this opens you up to the world of the djinn, uh, which I think is, Again, to me, it's that core subject in magic that very few people really dive in. And you didn't just dive into it there. You went on a journey, didn't you? You went and actually went that side of the world. Did you? Can you open and unpack that a little bit and tell us a bit about that journey? Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so during my path working uh, with Anuas and guiding me through the death current, he's like, there are many different facets of the death current. If, if, if for a moment we sort of like take a visual description of it, think of it, for, for lack of a better terms, as an infinite river, an infinite source. And when you have these rivers, every now and then they split off into different streams, you know, and those streams of, of this death current become uh, systems. So essentially you have one stream, which will be working with the deities of death that are maybe involved in the cliffhorphic path workings. You know, um, Bills above Azazel to never do. And um, then you have Azrael, and then you have the Mesopotamian gods, and so on and so forth. And then I came across uh, these these beings, and like which are known as the ghouls, and it was the world of the jinn. And this is where I thought, you know what, I'm not going to be able to navigate this at all. I'm not going to, because I, I have such a lack of understanding of what the jinn are, who they are, the way the world works. 
Maybe I should look into research. But a lot of the research that I read was heavily influenced by Islamic sources. Yes. And this is the thing. A lot isn't written on the jinn that's pre-Islamic. Mm. And then Anua says, the powers that be within this current will we'll, we'll make the arrangements for you. We'll make the arrangements for you. And um, when entities say stuff like that, it's sort of hard to believe. But then when it happens, you're like, oh, okay, all the domino pieces have fell perfectly. <laughs> And uh, a friend of mine who's a Muslim, and he's one of my best friends, he says to me, um, I know you're interested in witchcraft and, 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 and black magic and stuff like that. He's like, we're going to the gym. I'm like, how interesting this gets brought up. Like, we've been friends for years, and he's never brought this up. And um, yeah, I've heard somewhat of them. He <laughs> goes, I've got some friends in uh, Tunisia who know friends who know other people who work with the jinn and i was like okay i was like are they are they muslim he's like no not at all but they work with the jinn which is exactly what i wanted i wanted a view on the jinn which wasn't influenced by a muslim or islamic background Mm. and this was the perfect source and so i get in contact with these guys and they literally say come just just come over you know as if it's only next door as (laughs) if that side of the world was only next door and so i booked my flight that very night uh, Barry and I have booked my oh. flights. First time I ever left the country. The first time I ever went abroad. And I went on my own. And I booked the flight. I booked an hotel. And I went out there. And I started working with these, uh, I call them the gin masters. Because the, there was no particular word or title that they would ever go by. You know, they call each other all these different things. So mm. I called them gin masters. Because they were masters of what they were doing. was definitely. And they were very secluded. Uh, they, they were very sort of like, they were branched off from the society that were out there, and they would always live in different areas of that um, of, of Tunisia, or specifically Tunisia. You know, they, they were many. Every now and then they would go to Spitla. Every now and then they go to Castarin. Every now and then they would go to Sousse, or they go into Madia and all these different places. And I met them, and um, I was taken there by uh, one of my friends, or a friend of a friend. Like I said, I didn't know any of these people personally. I just realized when I was out there, I'm taking a massive risk here. That yes. not only am I in an Islamic state doing black magic. Black magician, exactly. Yeah. And um, I don't know these guys. Like, I've never met these guys, you know. And uh, I just just spoke to them and I'm going out there. But I've always had the drive um, of doing whatever is necessary uh, to, to get the job done. And I've always had that drive. And I think that's why... I'm at sort of the point where I'm at at, at this young age just because I'm willing to do whatever is necessary. So I go out there and, and I meet these people and they reveal to me the world of the gym. And they have these unique concepts of what they are. And I remember explaining to me in, a, in broken English, you know, they could barely speak English, but they, they explained it and I got the concept down. I was taken away that these jinn, they live here. They live in this world, on this earth, However, their version of it just moves quicker than ours. It vibrates at a much uh, rapid speed than ours does. Okay. That they have families. Like we have many different races, you know. We have all different races of the human race. They have all different races. They have the Madrid, the Ifrit, the yeah. Ghouls, and so on and so forth. Uh, they have government. They believe that they have laws. They believe that they have families. And there are even actual jinn weddings that take place around the world. But there, there are some jinns that are because all the jinns can see through here, they can see into our world. But for some unknown reason, it's like we're, we're not trained enough to see into their world until we work sort of on our senses and sort of align to that current. 
And yet there are people who've actually married the jinn. There are actual ceremonies that have gone down. And the things that I've seen out there till this day make me scratch my head. Mm. I think um, I, I'm, I'm curious. There's a, there's a couple of more questions I want to unpack there. But one of the things when I was... I was doing um, a 12 nights of Yule practice in our tradition. And that's a, you know, six goethic spirits a day kind of a thing, working through the entire Goetia in that cycle, very compressed. Um, and I thought I knew what direct contact was until I did that. And then afterwards, I kind of came face, face to face by understanding how I still operate in three dimensions of space and one dimension of time and coming face to face with beings that operate in, I would say at least 10 to 11 dimensions. And it's almost like they are more real than this world in certain kind of respects. And it sounds, you know, ridiculous when you say that out loud sometimes. And I think for anyone that has never walked this path or never had these experiences, it would seem completely ridiculous. And I'd be the first one to go, yeah, you're right. It seems completely ridiculous. And there's ideas that we can say in physics, but that's just it. They, they operate at, at a deeper level of reality. And yeah. it's, it's why they can do what they can do and why they can affect things the way they can affect. I'm very curious can you describe how different their relationship is and their approach to working with the gin versus, you know, the typical kind of ceremonial magical kind of attitude that we have a lot here in the, in this part of the, these other parts of the world? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the way that I would describe it was they had nothing written down. Like this is the thing that when you have sort of people that, you know, like we work with uh, the Goetic demons, for example, we have notes that we write down. We have grimoires. We have, these people, they, they didn't, they, did, they didn't have any of that. I was hoping to sort of get my hands in this and you know, maybe see what they do. It was like they were constantly in communion. Yeah. Like, and that, that to me was bewildering. It was bewildering because I, I understood the difference between working with deities and then sort of separating, coming back to a mundane thought process and then interacting with other people around you and then sort of connecting yet again with these entities. And yet we're always partially connected to them in a sense where they can guide us through intuition and we can feel their presence and their energy. But until we focus and harness our attention in, that's when communion happens. Mm. But these people, they were always constantly in communion with the gin. So it was very uh, chaotic, very erratic. And it was, um, you know, when they, I, would, I would ask them, when is it time to do this? When is it time to do that? When are we going to do this? And they would just wait. Like, 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 like you know, like we've got to wait from, we got to wait and hear from them. And the moment yeah. that they they would feel that is the moment they would just get me up, up on my feet and come on, we gotta go. We gotta go now. And they would just do when people look at it, like when you look at it from I, I was coming from my back, you know, coming from my back on spirituality and understanding and, and analyzing these systems. These people had never analyzed magical systems, they never pulled them apart. Where there's sort of normally a foundation, a structure to magic and the way the rituals are done be they ceremonial, be they um, out in nature, whatever, you know, whatever, really. And these people didn't have that. They didn't. It was, they were constantly aligned with them. However, by experiencing that, what I was able to do was, as a Black magician, I was able to take bits and um, pieces from that and understanding and concepts of that and they're working from that and then implement it to create an actual structure. Because if I just put in a book, hey, just just constantly be in a trance state for 24 hours and, and wait for these gins <laughs> to call you and, and then allow them to sort of, just sort of possess your movements whenever they need to, 
yeah, that's that's not going to work. Idealistically, in our society, you know, because they would cut off from society, it wouldn't work for that. So what I was trying to do was, I was trying to take the authenticity of that current and still give it some structure. I'm in, in the end, I, it did take a little bit of a experimentation, you know, because I didn't want to give it too much structure and then sort of lose the potency behind it. So I I done it in a way where it was sort of uh, smacked out in the middle, to the very least. Hmm. I think that's that's it's such a difficult art to make because I've seen a lot of you know, magicians attempt many mostly purely from the intellectual point of view you know and again mm-hmm. very influenced by the Islamic um, pieces not actually going in there and doing the rare stuff um, you know there's very few I know there's one individual that I've spoken with uh, Nineveh Shedrach that had some interesting ideas and notions and there was a philosophy that he kind of shared in one of his pieces which was how a lot of the ideas that we have in terms of elemental magic has its roots again with the jinn. Um, and it, it wasn't necessarily that they were necessarily a jinn of fire, a jinn of this, but it was these were the planes or the dimensions that they were most active in. But they were seen like a society, like their own living, breathing society, very active by their own politics and their own world, um, which I think is a very, very difficult concept for people to get their head around. Um, yet, yeah. A lot of other people follow the work of Carlos Castaneda and that Toltec approach is very much the same. You know, it's mm-hmm. also very similar inside of that. No, no, this is such an interesting conversation. And I think we, I would, I would keep you here for days and we will just keep talking. So I hope I get to have a, a follow up with this conversation with you in the future, if you're keen. Yes, of course. Yeah, I'd love to. So we're coming kind of close to the, the end of our time, but there, there, there's two pieces and I'm probably going to sneak in a third if I can of questions that I just need to kind of get from you. First, I just want to know, this is a quite a massive book, but I understand you're already, you're already working on something else because you were involved with the, with the gatekeeper pieces, you know, through Bog. Um, I understand you're working on something else coming out now. Can you, can you touch on that for a bit? Yeah, of course. So um, I, I walked the whole nine demonic gates, the path of Islam with Belial. However, I didn't start writing contributions to the, um, Gatekeeper Compendiums to Lucifuge. So Lucifuge was the fifth um, installment in the Gatekeeper series. So I, I started writing uh, um, all my notes, all my duties, my rituals, and all the things that I had learned from these different uh, demonic uh, gatekeepers. And it was it was an intense pathbreaking, said the very least. And um, everything that I collected, I didn't think it was going to be as fast as it was. And sometimes the contributions alone w- would stand on their own as a book. You know, so, uh, and I got reached out by Timothy and I, you know, props to Timothy Donahue. He's like, your contributions within the demonic gatekeepers books from Lucifuge to Bael to Beelzebub to Asmodeus and Satan, they deserve their own book alone. And um, I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And and so we, we pieced all of those compendiums all together into one singular tome. So you don't have to go and buy each single tome if you want to, sort of read and uncover exactly what I learned and what I give away in those compendiums. And you have that source all in one text. And this is going to be, this is known as the Devil's Idol. Uh, at least that's the name we're working with right now, at least. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure about that. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, that will be coming out soon. That will be coming out shortly. And currently, right now, I'm involved in a whole other path working and a whole other system of magic in general. I wanted to I wanted to ask you because you know that absolutely breathtaking uh, sigil process that you have right there behind you. That's those are some unique sigils inside of that piece. Can I ask the question? You know, is that yeah. related? 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is related. Yeah. Can you so, give um, us some hints? Yeah, so I can give you some hints. So at the end of the Demonic Gatekeeper series, when I had reached my final um, point with that, I, I was brand, I, I got taken by the, the gatekeepers, taken by all nine collectively. And I got pulled to the edge of the abyss, what they call the edge of the abyss. And they said, there is something else up there waiting for you. That all these years you've been working with us, it's just been working towards this moment. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So all those years was just prepping. And they were like, yeah, for something else. Um, when I seen what this other thing was, it was a whole other system of magic with whole different beings, whole different deities, whole different magical technology in general. And this behind me is essentially the motherboard for that magical technology. This is the circle for this particular path working. And that is currently what I am involved in now. It's There's nothing like it as far as I've seen. That's, that's kind of uh, exciting and also unfair because and now I know what I'm going to keep kind of teasing you about. Uh, do you have any kind of plans on when in the future you might be sharing some more information about that? Or is it Yeah, um, most definitely. So I, I, I've done various experiments with this already, and I, I am still walking the path moving as it is. Now, when it comes to it, I am going to be touching on this a little more in, in the upcoming months. But I'm not the type of guy that wants to just dive in, learn a little, and then just release that. You know, I want to work through the entirety of it as much as I can. And once I've got that solid foundation, then I reveal it. So um, I, I suppose we'll keep it as a teaser for now. And okay. uh, just to say, uh, you know, expect uh, something coming soon. Well, I mean, like, I've just I've just worked through this tomb of yours um, with the necromancer. So if that's anything to go by with the level of commitment that you put in your work, um, I'm excited to see where this is coming for what the next stages are. Connor? It's been a gift and an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting you, to you again. Uh, before, before we close off this, um, Amazon, Bulk, where's the best place to get a copy of the book? So the best place to get a copy of the book, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at uh, Become a Living God. And I'm pretty sure that there are a few left on Etsy too. Now, don't quote me on that, but they are, they are the various places that um, they can reach out and uh, grab a copy of the Necromancer for themselves. As we, as we kind of finish this conversation, if there's somebody listening in this now and they're relatively new to the path, there's so much information out there, they're not really sure what to focus on. What would you say is that core thing, that core skill, a core bit of data that they should put their attention to that's gonna give them the, the kind of biggest return and help them kind of on their path for now before we finish up? Excellent question. I would say um, focus on the self before you reach out to anything else. There are people out here in the world, and we touched upon it earlier, there are people that want to do these path movings, work with these entities, work with these deities, and they haven't even got the basics down of self-control. Um, you, you articulated this in an amazing way, um, which is interesting, instead of verities, where you said they bring these grand forces into themselves, and it's, they can't filter it properly. They can't channel it properly. They can't keep it in themselves properly. So if you have an emotional imbalance, it's probably not good to work with somebody like Aishma or Asmodeus because mm. uh, he's an intense emotional deity. And if your emotional radar isn't in your control, you're probably going to spiral. And that goes for somebody that, if they're not well-versed within their own sexual 
energy or, or you know, they're, they're shy or they have sexual trauma, it's probably not good to just dive into a, a, a little heartbroken right away either. Yes. That sometimes you have to realize, have control of yourself and then branch out. As within, so without. That's gold. That's gold. I'm going to leave it there before I ask the next 500 questions that just popped into my mind. Connor, thank you so much. It's been a gift. Thank you. And I'll see you again next time. See you again next time, bro. I've always felt a little different, a little uneasy between regular folk, a bit of a dreamer, a lost cause, a little non-ordinary, some would say. I think I've always just been this way. My mother said I was special. My father thought I should be feared. But I knew that witchcraft coursed through my veins the first time I tasted the lips of the goddess inside the rain. Yes, I'm a witch, it's true. And sure, we are the ones who believe in the beauty of nature, who believe in the things science, absent of art, cannot explain, who instead of religion would have romance. And sure, you may think we have lost our way, when in the world of predictable things we have such unfamiliar things that we would like to say. But maybe in a world so cold and alone, a little unfamiliar is exactly what is needed. Hey family, it's Adam Knox here. Thanks for supporting this podcast and, you know, these ideas. I really appreciate free thinkers, you know, like yourselves that are willing to challenge conventional norms and think for themselves and take on new challenges and look at new ideas. And as such, I want to say that if you haven't yet, if you are looking at ways to improve your knowledge over the entire field and you're looking at a you know regular feed of ideas and concepts to keep improving yourself i'd like to invite you to sign up at the cult of you all my teachings and all my ideas are there for only 19 dollars a month and every month i bring you a completely new section of some of the most cutting ideas and i'm constantly adding to that so i'm constantly reviewing and adding more knowledge as i gain them and you'll see a lot of the interviews and a lot of things that i do extend on some of the subjects that i cover inside of those areas i do take quite a bit of effort to make sure that the filming is also quite good and to give you not just a demonstration of rituals but also talk you through the psychology behind them so that you're empowered to do them and i cover every subject under the sun from science to art to magic to all the different systems out there from the golden dawn to the western of the western traditions to the left hand path traditions we discuss technology and technomancy we discuss sex magic and seduction we discuss so much more from purely the mental aspects to how do you deal with the darkness when it comes up as well as how do you take those things into business and into your romantic life as well as what are the keys to make your magic work as well as to unlock different degrees of spirituality so if you haven't yet please consider signing up at the cult of you and you'll be able to send me a mail and message there and i'll be there to help you you personally through mail correspondence and chat you and guide you through the entire process and if you make it through the first year of the entire cycle and you graduate the second year of the program you're able to have direct sessions with myself and some of the members of my temple and i look forward to helping you whether you go that route or not please keep enjoying these podcasts 
Please share them with people that you think they are, they're gonna find value in them. Like and subscribe to the show. And please send me your messages to info at the cult of you. I would love to hear what are things that are important to you? What are th ideas and concepts that this raised? Maybe this inspired you. Maybe this you know, made sense to you. Maybe this opened up something. I'd love to hear that. Please talk to me and please share with me. Write in the comments and give me your ideas and concepts. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, if you're not, if you're only watching this on the YouTube channel, please head on over to Spotify and do subscribe. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, go check us out on YouTube. But please share this, share these ideas and these concepts and let's let's have a conversation. I'd love to hear from you. That's it for me. I'm Adam Knox. This is the Cult of You. And remember, live deliciously.